Welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 23, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, The Warrior of Wind. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. Here we go with another transitional episode. Are you ready to talk about it? <laughs> oh, boy. That was the first thing I thought when uh, when this episode played through. I'm like, mm, we're kind of piecing together two parts of the story, and I feel like you're going to call it a transitional episode. Well, you called it right. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into it, um, we want to... I don't know, I guess share some some updates. Um, one of them is a little more on the fun side, and the other, I guess, is some somber news that we have. Um, so we'll start with the, the somber news. Yeah. So for those of you um, who are familiar, and I think we may have mentioned a couple times on this podcast, um, we do have two dogs. Both of them are corgis, Ein and Rigby. Um, and unfortunately, we recently had to say goodbye to our dog, Ein. Um, he's the older of the two. He lived to be 14 years old, and due to some health complications, we decided it was time um, to to say goodbye. So, it's it's been something that he was dealing with since November, um, and it got a lot worse over the last couple of months. And we loved him so so much, and it's been really tough over these last several weeks, um, just seeing his health decline and being his caretakers more so than ever. Um, but we wanted to share this news just in case we sounded off or not kind of like ourselves recently on this podcast. This is probably the reason why. Um, so we also wanted to say thank you to everyone for understanding if we did kind of sound off recently. And, and we apologize if we weren't bringing our best selves to the last few episodes. But yeah, I guess now we can say that Ayn will be the eternal mascot for the Strictly series. So yes, kind of glad of that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we miss him a ton. And and for those who aren't as familiar, um, again, we we've, we may have talked about um, our corgis, I think, on this podcast. Definitely have shared a bit about them on social media. But um, our, our two corgis are Ein and Rigby. Ein is the red and white corgi, who, again, is or was 14 years old. And Rigby's our black-headed tricolor corgi, who's four years old. Um, of course, as, as you can probably assume, we named Ayn after Ayn from Cowboy Bebop, and Rigby is named after Rigby from Regular Show, and Rigby's the one who always hangs out with us when, when we're recording and likes to cause a ruckus in the background. Yeah, our, he's like our producer. <laughs> <laughs> Judging us with his eyes if we don't sound good enough. <laughs> but yeah, so wanted to, to at least share that update for those of you who have been following us um, for, for quite some time, have seen some posts on social media, things like that. But I guess on to uh, more exciting news, as awkward of a transition as that is, um, we did also want to share that we were recently guests on Anime Brothers podcast. We had them on Strictly Anime, I believe on episode 50 of Strictly Anime, where we talked about our takes on popular anime characters. So they invited us to be on their podcast along with Sam from Anime Summit Podcast, where we had a, a tournament. It was a tournament um, all about- It was a about, tournament arc. It was a tournament arc all about the best number two or supporting character um, in anime. So we, we all threw down a couple of different names. I won't spoil it too much, but for our fellow JoJo fans out there, I did throw down the best waifu of all waifus, Mr. Robert E.O. Speedwagon. And yeah, I defended him with all my heart. <laughs> and on the flip side, also in reference to Jojo, one of the characters that I entered into the tournament was the best mom, Bruno Bucciarati, which I also defended with all of my heart. Yes, so we have part two and part five of JoJo represented in this tournament. We had a couple of other names um, that we we submitted or we threw down. We won't spoil those. Go listen to the episode because it, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, it's quite an interesting tournament arc with a with quite yeah. a, an interesting amount of debate. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but you just have to go listen to it. It's Anime Brothers podcast. I believe it's going to be episode eighty two. Um, and again, we were joined by Sam from Anime Summit Podcast, and I believe it's going to be releasing the same day that this episode of Strictly JoJo is releasing. So go check it out after you're done listening to us here. And on to the main event of today's episode, The Warrior of Wind, an episode dedicated 
to WAMU, but I guess half also dedicated to cars because we've got two different pieces of Joseph's story kind of blended together here. What did we think about this episode? As we said in the beginning, we called it. It was going to be a transitional episode, um, which I think it works two ways, or I guess there's a pro and a con to it. The pro is that we do get to see sort of this juxtaposition between cars and Wamu in their ideologies and in their ways of fighting. I guess the con, though, is since this is Wamu's demise and we are able to see the the honorable warrior that he is, we don't get much weight to that. Like We, we do get a proper send-off for Wamu, but I think it would have served better for his story if this were to have been the conclusion of the previous episode, um, A True Warrior, which that would have made sense because the, the, the title of that episode, I think, reflects very strongly on Wamu's character. Although, again, the title of this one is The Warrior of Wind, so I guess both episodes have definitive titles for him. Um, but, yeah, the way that this kind of just threw Wamu's death as this happened but then um it felt like um acdc's death um a couple episodes back where he didn't truly die in that one episode but then it segues into the next one or more so like bruford's from part one if you remember because i i believe uh jonathan and bruford had fought in one episode and then that went into another episode and that's where um jonathan really saw Bruford's true noble colors. Yeah, I I think that this is a strange episode because you're right, they take the full fight from the previous episode and wrap it up in half an episode. I will say I don't think the Wamu fight could have carried two full episodes, uh, but it is kind of a strange way of finishing up that story. It is also a bit misleading to have the title of the episode be the warrior of wind when only half of the episode is dedicated to that character. However, I really like this episode and I know sometimes we can be a bit not lukewarm, but not as hype about transitional episodes, which is normal for any anime or any show when you have kind of this, you know, taking us from point A to point B, um, things just aren't going to be as hype. But this one in particular, I really enjoyed because of what you said, the juxtaposition between Wamu and cars. We have such an honorable and noble moment between Wamu and Joseph in the first half. And then we get to see how much of a sleazeball Cars is in the second half. And it's just, you, you get so much, such a wide range of emotion in one episode that I thought it was really entertaining throughout. I think if they had gone any longer on the Wamu piece, it may have felt a bit too drawn out. And I feel like if they had started Cars' part any sooner, it wouldn't have been a satisfactory ending to Wamu's story. So I think they hit it just right as strange of a transition as it was. And of course, we get the bombshell reveal by Smokey at the end, which I think most of us probably saw a mile coming, even if this were the first time we watched JoJo. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the first time I did watch JoJo, I was I had that inkling because they, they laid it on pretty thick, but not too thick. Um, so it, it was still a nice reveal. I'm glad they stayed committed to the drama of it all by having this big reveal from Smokey at the end and giving us that cliffhanger ending, no pun intended, with Lisa Lisa hanging off of, not like a cliff, wow. but <laughs> hanging by her feet. By a thread. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. This episode was really enjoyable for multiple reasons. It just gave us a lot of great elements of JoJo, mushed all into one, but they did it right. They balanced things out and it didn't feel like they were just trying to jumble a bunch of things together. But with that said, let's dive into it. Yeah, so starting off with the summary for Part 2, Episode 14, The Warrior of Wind. It's the conclusion of the Bernina 500, and Wamu is at his wit's end as he sends his gathering gale wind blades to cap the detate out of Joseph's head. Our Hamon hero unsuccessfully rebuts with an improvised explosive dud, but combined with the charred remains of Shiza's headbands and the bomb's flammable oil, Wamu's body explodes from the inside, not unlike the ravaging effect that a Chipotle dinner has on our own mortal bodies. Oh. <laughs> Instead of finishing the Pillarman off, though, Joseph cradles his fallen opponent as Wamu commends the Joestar on his battle bravado. 
after raining death upon the vampire spectator seeking to interfere and watching his rambunctious rival take the antidote from his ring, Wamu gets Thanos dusted as Josephu pays his last respects to the prototype Jojo antagonist turned not-so-antagonist. If there's one thing stronger than the power of Hamon, it indeed is the power of friendship. Not to be eclipsed, however, Kars shapes up for his battle against Lisa Lisa at a separate venue amongst the temple ruins and lets down his L'Oreal-sponsored mane of hair. Despite promising to fight fair and square, the pesky pillarman dupes the Hamon heroine and rams his boner blade through her back end and takes the super hot fire Aja for himself. Joseph struggles to get vengeance for his sensei after his exhaustive chariot race, but thankfully Stroheim arrives in the Nazi neck of time with his soldiers and his Speedwagon Foundation benefactors to fight back against the pillarman offensive with the magic of UV lighting. As Joseph gains a second wind, golden wind, to face Cars, who throws him into a climactic dilemma a la Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man film, Smokey gasps from afar as he pieces together that Lisa Lisa is the mama mama to Jojo Jojo. Boner blade. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that. (laughs) Thrust upon her back. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And now on to our next segment of the show is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music, and there are none. Oh, well, now it's time. I did I like to just throw in my own references in certain episodes where, again, there's a void. So I thought this one, an appropriate one would have been Broken Wings by Mr. Mister, because at the end, Cars does his wing, wing, wing <laughs> with Lisa's bro- or Lisa Lisa's broken body. So yeah, I could see that. We should. That's like missed opportunities all around. Yeah. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. We haven't had one for a while, and we have one here, ladies and gentlemen. It is literally what you just said. Cars <laughs> playing Lisa Lisa's legs like a guitar for some fucking reason. <laughs> I I don't know. I this meme is just a meme in and of itself. I mean, I've seen it kind of attached to other things but just this in and of itself is its own meme because why he did that i have no fucking idea i'd be curious to know if there's a reason iraqi decided to have cars play lisa lisa's broken ass legs like a fucking guitar before slinging her by her feet over the edge of this pillar cliff not even a cliff what do you, what would you call it a walkway like an arch it's an arch i think is it it's between Supposedly, I think it's between two pillars. We'll call it a bridge. It's kind of like a bridge, but it's not literally a bridge. But either way, that's the only meme that I caught for this particular episode. But as always, if we missed any, please reach out to us. Please let us know because we always want to pay respect to every single JoJo meme. So this episode has a slightly unusual start because they go right into the OP without any opening content. And I don't know if we've had that before. We may have. Um, It's one of those smaller details that perhaps I'm not remembering, but it it did kind of take me by surprise that we just went straight into it. I think it's just because the cliffhanger of the last episode, you really don't know what is going to happen with Wamu's final attack. I mean, they could have just replayed that as most anime usually like to do, but I think it, it makes for a better reveal that they skip that cold open and just go straight into it after the op yeah i completely agree i don't know how you would have a cold open knowing that you're literally in the middle of the final moments of an intense battle and as you all probably know very well by now i hate recaps because we don't need them in this day and age of streaming so if we had a recap i would be like yeah i i know i already watched that episode i know what's happening in this fight so yeah i i don't mind um you know them kind of changing it up with no cold open in this this episode and going straight into the op which is as always a fucking banger um but as we move into the episode we have that wind stream that scalpel like wind stream that wamu is blasting at joseph's face headed very quickly towards his head yet again there is an entire conversation that happens in the time span of what is probably five seconds that it takes for wamu to get to joseph's head with his wind stream yeah and the other thing that I thought about is Wamu's hands are holding Joseph up against the wall, right? Yes. But Wamu's attack only begins like because he turns his head slightly 
and then starts moving towards his hands. Like if he can physically feel where Joseph is, like with his hands, why couldn't he just dart his head over and then that would have been it for Joseph. A hundred percent. And okay, so let me let me throw something at you now. Yeah, Wamu's using his hands to hold Joseph's neck, but they're not attached to his body. The only reason they reached Joseph in the last episode is because he projected them from his chest over to Joseph's neck. So all Joseph really has to do is just get up and move. Like the the arms will still be attached to his neck because Wamu's got this death grip around his throat, but there's nothing else attached to, you know, attached to the arm. So why can't Joseph just get out of the fucking way? (laughs) Yeah, or just lean over a bit. Or (laughs) yeah, exactly. Or let me just throw another thing at you. I don't know why Wamu is so precise about this whole wind scalpel thing. All he has to do is take his head and like violently whip it around in a bunch of different directions, and he's got a better chance of hitting Joseph than trying to be very precise and locate his his current position. I would say this is a very Bond villain moment. Oh yeah, (laughs) where it's just a villain has all these theatricalities that they want to expose first before the the Bond, I guess, of this show which is joseph unleashes his rebuttal and i think it would have been very out of character for wamu to just violently wave his head around um just to you know get joseph really quick because he's a very calculated warrior who thinks things through probably to a fault at certain points when he's up against joseph so i think he is trying to continue to be that honorable warrior by being very precise and defeating joseph essentially but again, it's uh, it's to his demise because Joseph uses that uh, uses that as an opportunity to then trick Wamu into breaking that container of oil that he set on fire. And this whole part, I I really enjoyed. I, I very much enjoy the whole defeat of Wamu, but this part in particular is my favorite part of the actual fight because in this moment. Joseph screams or I guess cries out for Caesar's help as he takes the bandana off of his head, lights it on fire, and then throws it in Wamu. And then, of course, when Wamu thinks he's got the upper hand, that he sealed the deal, Caesar's death theme kicks in. And Joseph knows that he is victorious and explains exactly to Wamu why he is victorious because of the ingestion of the oil plus Caesar's flaming headband. Which that part kind of reminds me of the last episode where joseph was throwing rocks at mom because that was all that he had left but then there was there was a reason behind him throwing the rocks again to throw off wamu's um sensing of the the trick shot and here too i was almost caught off guard because you know i thought like joseph had this plan with the firebomb but it all went to not because wamu was able to anticipate it but Joseph thought like four chess moves ahead basically and was able to scientifically put together how he could take Wamu down um, under the guise of feeling helpless. But yeah, I, I like that in this final push against Wamu, um, Joseph indirectly involves Caesar because we know that Caesar had died at the hands of Wamu, but it's like here with Caesar being symbolized in the headband, it's as if Joseph is once again teaming up with his friend to take down the pillarmen that like tore both their lives apart. Yeah, and I think it's unique for Joseph because he's never once, well, I don't know, I can't say that with certainty because now I'm going to second guess myself, but I think he doesn't really ever call out for someone's help. He's very confident. He's very cocky. Um, he knows what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. And in this moment for him to actually call out for Caesar's help, I think was not only a great homage to his best friend and his quest in getting revenge for Caesar, but also I think Joseph understanding that it's sometimes you need help in order to achieve things versus constantly being on your own. Because the Joseph that we met early on in part two was very much an independent individual who cares about other people, but didn't want to ask anybody for help. And I think part of that was because he cares so much about other people and their own safety and well-being. Um, granted, here, Caesar's already dead, so it's kind of easy to ask him for his help. But I think it also shows how much um, development Joseph and Caesar have had through their relationship because they started off hating each other. And in the final moments of their relationship, Joseph is crying out for his his deceased friend's help, um, you know, having him 
lend his final hamon or i give you my final hamon jojo kind of moment yeah and of course the 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 theme of caesar um i don't know if it's his death theme but like just his main theme just well, for... <laughs> okay, I call it his death theme because it did technically play when yeah. he was under that rock. <laughs> yeah, but I know it like the the instrumental version of it played at certain points throughout the part. Um, but of course, for them to just add that in was just uh, icing on the cake, and you know it just always gives me chills whenever I hear that that boisterous operatic voice um, <laughs> during these pivotal scenes. Still one of the best theme songs in anime because it's literally an aria. Like that that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, maybe arguably the best opera aria of all time. <laughs> Sorry for will, like it. <laughs> maybe this will spark a JoJo opera because, you know, we've got a lot of other JoJo things. Why not have an opera? <laughs> yeah, I know that's probably a controversial take for the opera fanatics out there, but... <laughs> Well, with that said, um, again, as we as we talked about earlier, it's interesting that they decided to end the fight within the first few moments of the episode, but it's because the focus here is actually on Joseph's treatment or his approach to Wamu after he's lost. Let's be honest, this fight was never about beating Wamu or getting the antidote to get that ring off of his heart. This was all about revenge for Caesar. And Joseph understands that very clearly, and he acknowledges that, which is why he decides to, you know, when Wamu's head is just laying there and he says, finish me, Joseph decides to crack open his hand and spill his blood into Wamu to ease his pain as the Hamon slowly kills him. And Wamu sees this as a sign of pity in the initial moments, but then Joseph reminds Wamu that he treated Caesar with respect at the end of their duel, and this is Joseph doing the same for Wamu, again, despite the fact that he killed his best friend. Yeah, I just love everything about this scene between Wamu and Joseph in Wamu's last, I guess, minutes. Uh, even previous to this, um, even when Joseph says... Caesar was with me all the way um, in defeating Wamu. I know before that he had called Wamu a formidable warrior. So even though they had this long, arduous battle against each other, at the very end, it's nice to see that Joseph still respects Wamu as an honorable warrior. Even, again, with that moment that you mentioned of kind of not like a quid pro quo, but showing Wamu the same respect that he had shown Caesar even at the even with him being the culprit of Caesar's death. Yeah, and then Joseph drops another your next line is moment. I mean, I don't think he says it verbatim, but um he does it to Wamu in this moment and I think for the first time it's actually used in a good way. Um Joseph predicting what Wamu will say, I felt like this was a sign of him saying that he's aligned to his warrior spirit. Um, he wasn't doing it in a way of kind of rubbing his rubbing Wamu's face in the fact that that he lost a duel. It's more like I understand you now, your warrior spirit. We're we're aligned in this way. And then Wamu shares things like, to me, the only strong or only a strong warrior is true. A strong warrior is the only truth. Yeah. Um, and then all that matters is a life of honor, and that immortality was never important to him. Um, and he says all these things as he's stopping the vampires from ganging up on Joseph, which side note, I don't understand how he can yes. make multiple shots at the vampires. Like, fine, maybe the first launch made sense because he used his hair to put himself onto that crossbow and then launched himself. But then you see him ha like striking multiple vampires from multiple directions. And I'm like, okay, how is he doing that? He is a severed head. <laughs> You just got to turn your head a little bit. You just got to, right. well, you just got to shake your head and be like Jojo logic. That's all mm -hmm. it is. It's just another moment of Jojo logic. Um, but then he asked Joseph to drink the antidote before him, before he perishes, saying that he's happy to have witnessed Joseph's journey and then bids him that final farewell. And the fact that Joseph complies with all of that and even wants to confirm, like, how will you know that I'm drinking the antidote? Like, he wants to make sure that Wamu knows that he's doing that and fulfilling his final wishes this entire exchange signals maturity in joseph and a lot of growth in his character development yes he's paid respect to other enemies in the past but never to this extent and again especially not someone who killed his best friend days ago yeah i was gonna say the stepping stone for this was when joseph realized um, acdc was just 
um, trying to defend his friends and taking down um, Caesar, Lisa, Lisa, and himself. And so this is like his nirvana moment where he can recognize that Wamu is not as villainous as he has made him out to be. And I think that kind of falls in line with this Jojo trope that we see time and again of this antagonistic character that ends up being likable or sympathetic. We'll see that a lot, I feel, in part three, but these are kind of like the the breadcrumbs that we get of it in part two. So now with all of that said, that is the first half of this episode, essentially. Not literally the first half, because I think the eye catch happens like right after Cars reveals his hair, but... For the most part, this is the first half of the episode. We now transition into the second half of the episode, which focuses on cars. And talk about a fucking 180. You go from this incredibly honorable duel to someone who literally lies flat out to Joseph and Lisa Lisa's face just to fulfill his goal of getting the redstone. Now, backing up, we we do have, um, you know, after Wamu passes away and all that stuff, Cars then says that Wamu and ACDC were my comrades for 10 years. I want to carry on their legacy or their honor with an honorable battle. And that was a fucking lie. (laughs) Even if you go back before that, um, I think Cars has a flashback of him and Wamu taking down this child who is strong with the force. (laughs) (laughs) Strong with the hamon. With the the hamon. Yeah. And... Like, even there, you can see this stark contrast between the two. Um, I guess almost leading into this fight with Lisa Lisa, where Wamu's hesitant because he does not want to kill this innocent child. So then Cars just does it himself. And even Cars comments Wamu being too pure of a warrior, and that was his weakness. And then it's just funny because I think the vampire soldiers are, like, discussing the same thing. Like, they're agreeing with him. And then Cars just sucks the life out of them just because. Like, well, I don't think it's just because. I think it's because he's trying to maintain that that facade of like, oh, I want to be honorable as well, the same way Wamu and ACDC were. Mm, right? Because okay. he says like, or I think the, those vampires make those comments. And then Lisa Lisa says, you know, how disgusting or, you know, the, I obviously I don't think this way. You guys are terrible. And then Cars kills them essentially to show or i guess to emphasize that he is also wanting to be an honorable person which again is just all playing into this whole lie that he's cooking up that makes sense yeah so then it starts with or i guess we we then lead into lisa lisa's fight with cars and joseph right off the bat underestimates lisa lisa by saying she's strong but still a woman and then offers to take on the battle in her place but then she goes right back at him and says he's sorely mistaken if he thinks she's going to be outdone by some teenager and i've said this multiple times on this podcast as as we've gone through part two and i'll say it again especially because this is the episode i've been referring to many many times over they built lisa lisa up to be this hamon master talking big and showing us glimpses of her abilities. And when it finally comes down to it, she gets bested by cars as underhanded tricks. And I mean, even in this moment, again, she's saying you're sorely mistaken if you think I'm going to be outdone by some teenager. And then Joseph says, oh, spoken like a true hormone master, you know, it was spoken like a true 50 year old. I was like, what <laughs> the fuck? Um, but again, it's just, it's all for, for nothing. And in the battle itself, we do get glimpses as well of her abilities because immediately she senses no killing intent with cars. And she's very taken back by that because she's an experienced fighter. And she can sense when he or I guess the vampire, the other vampire in this case, is right behind her and all this stuff. But then she falls for his trick ultimately. And and that just that just kind of irks me. I really wish we could have seen more of a fight from her side, even if she still gets tricked by cars at the end of the day, even if she still gets stabbed in the chest, even if you know she becomes a hostage, all that stuff. I would have loved to have seen a little more fighting from her. And I may be really biased because she's one of my favorite JoJo characters, but it is tough to constantly hear how good someone is and then get nothing to back that up. And I think that's another juxtaposition in this episode i guess in terms of the battle itself because we saw again with mom and joseph they had a a long and drawn out battle and then here you contrast that with cars facing off against lisa lisa and it it's over a matter of like seconds 
Yeah, and even even Caesar had at least a substantial battle with Wamu before his death. So again, like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a full episode. It doesn't have to be some long drawn out battle. I get it. Lisa Lisa is not meant to beat the main villain of part two because that role is is set aside for Joseph. But at least show her putting up some sort of fight before she gets tricked. I'm fine with her getting tricked. I'm fine with all that stuff. But just give us something. Well, the way I'm thinking of it is with the series having kind of fluffed her up. (laughs) Fluffed up. (laughs) I don't know what (laughs) the right term is, but just planting these seeds um, in the viewer to to know that she is this all-powerful Hamon master and she's going up against Cars, who is also this all-powerful like um vampire master yeah pillar <laughs> pillar man being pillar master. or whatever i think it's just showing that even the strongest hamon warrior out there is not able to match the the intellect and the strength of cars himself um which is that just leads into the the final three episodes of part two where cars does become the ultimate being so I can kind of understand it through that lens. But as you mentioned, I think this would have been like the equivalent of watching like Darth Vader versus Obi-Wan in part four of uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah, um, a big dick tease essentially. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it, like I said, it's over in a matter of seconds where I feel like we could have gotten a little bit more out of their fight. Yeah, instead we were left with some mad blue balls and I'm just salty about it. I really, really am. Maybe in the manga there is more of a substantial fight, but I don't know. And even if you're not going to give her much of a fight up against cars, again, that's fine, but give her another enemy to defeat and give her more of like a big battle. Because again, Caesar had his moment, but Lisa Lisa didn't. And it's not because obviously they keep saying like, oh, well, you're a woman, blah, blah, blah. Like it's not because of like some, you know, we, we need the the female character to show how strong she is. We know how strong she is. She taught Caesar. She taught Joseph. She gave birth to Joseph, who is a trickster, and she's, you know, cunning herself and probably passed that on to him. We know she's an awesome character, but I think what would have just made things so much better is seeing that in action, seeing it happen. Because with all things in anime, it's one thing to tell us something is the way that it is. It's another thing to show us that something is the way that it is. I think we connect as viewers much more closely to whatever that thing is when we can witness it happening ourselves. Side note to all of this, have we ever seen any of the Pillar Men make a double of themselves with another person like cars did here i don't think so which is also one thing i noted (laughs) what is this new power where he can transform vampires to look literally like himself (laughs) or even to talk like him up until the last moment where he's like it's a it's an iraqi forgot moment i'm guessing because this is probably the first and only time we'll see this i don't know though maybe maybe we'll see it again or maybe we have seen it before but truthfully i cannot remember so i'm gonna label this one as a new power that iraqi forgot (laughs) yeah and I feel like this whole thing, it's just Lisa Lisa is just being used as a plot device, which, again, is not deserving of her character because she deserves a lot more than that. But At least she got more than her husband did. Yeah. Joseph, George Josar, the, I almost said Joseph, <laughs> George Josar the second, he just gets like a quick flashback in the next episode and he didn't even have Hamon powers and no, he's the fucking yeah. Josar. But, you know, I guess not all Stars are as amazing as the ones that we know. Mm. <laughs> This does lead into this whole trickery, this this backstabbing moment that Cars has leads into Joseph then freaking out when he sees Lisa Lisa get stabbed. Um, and yet again, this is another moment of Joseph getting set off when someone he cares about or someone who's very important to him gets hurt in any way, shape, or form. Even the smallest things that happen to Edina or to to Speedwagon, as we see earlier on in part two, set him off. So to see Lisa Lisa literally get stabbed and lied to, I think sets him off worse than any other moment that we've seen in part two. You even get a little bit later in this episode that close up to Joseph's face and the way they draw him with like his one eye like half open and twitching and his lips like... Mm -hmm pushed out like all just like really fucking pissed off is a great way to showcase how much more cars has pissed him off in this moment than any other enemy betraying someone that joseph cares about i mean it's not only because 
Lisa Lisa is the only other Hamon user that Joseph's familiar with. And I think it's because he's already lost Caesar that he can't stand to lose Lisa Lisa as well. But Plus, I, Lisa Lisa is his teacher. I mean, yeah. he's, at first he was a little sundere towards her, but after he realized that her ways of teaching could get him to the level of Hamon he needs to be, he then very much respected her from, from that moment on. Yeah. Also, just the fact that Cars is just a sleazeball um, throughout this this like five second fight, I think that's also what sets him off too. And I think Joseph just also comes to the realization that all of this is just because Cars wants this goddamn stone, and that culminates in his line where he says, "I've never hated someone more than I hate you." Yeah, which hate is a very strong word, of course. So for Joseph to use this. Yeah, I think Joseph is 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 a brash character, but I don't think he's ever gone this far in like showing extreme disdain for somebody. A hundred percent. He's always emulated as much as he possibly can given Joseph's personality. He's always emulated parts of Jonathan, his grandfather, in again, respecting his enemies to some some level in some way, shape, or form. Even someone like straight so who was really fucked up in the head he still had some level of respect for him but here i think all respect has gone out the window because this is the first enemy that joseph is facing that really has no redeeming qualities about him and in this moment i do want to call out he uses zoom punch when he's trying to get to lisa lisa and save her have we ever seen him use zoom punch isn't that a jonathan move i don't recall it in other any other part of part two. I do remember it with Jonathan. So I like to think, first of all, it's a fantastic Easter egg for part one, having him, oh shit, my Siri just started up. Siri, go away. Okay. <laughs> Siri, zoom punch. Yeah, Siri, Siri zoom punch. Um, anyway, I, I I love this this way of kind of bringing Jonathan back into the fold by having his grandson use Zoom Punch. It is very strange that he's using a move that I don't think anyone's ever taught him or told him about, unless maybe off-screen Speedwagon shared some some info about Jonathan with Joseph. Um, but it's cool that he used it. Like, it's just, it's just a fun little Joestar homage that Araki likes to plant throughout all of JoJo that I really get excited about. Again, kind of like the name of the cafe um, at the start of part two, Cafe Irene, for anybody who knows what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to mention the part that that's related to, but Cafe Irene does, I think, pay homage to another JoJo part. On top of that, um, we sometimes get butterfly symbols um, throughout, I think, part two, maybe a little bit of part one which is probably an homage to part six. And in later parts, I'm sure we'll bring up um, all of the moments that are callbacks to parts one and two as we move towards part three, four, and five. Sorry, I'm, I'm actually just looking at memes of Zoom Punch, and you could technically say that it's been used in part five as well. Really? Wait, <laughs> with who? <laughs> because the, the way that Zoom Punch is described is that the user dislocates their shoulder in order to extend their punch yeah um so i think if you think about extending the punch sticky fingers uses that same kind of similar technique i'll say mm, interesting <laughs> okay so maybe sticky fingers has a, a small callback to jonathan joe jonathan joe star as well but yeah i loved it i i actually didn't catch this in any of my previous watches until this most recent one, he just really quickly uses Zoom Punch, calls out Zoom Punch, and I'm like, wait a fucking minute. He just pulled a Jonathan Joestar. Yeah. So as Joseph is freaking out and trying to get to Lisa Lisa, who comes to the rescue? None other than Stroheim. Nazis. <laughs> yeah, no, Nazis. No, none other than Stroheim and fucking Speedwagon. But also Smokey for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why Smokey's there, but hey, he cares about Joseph. They have a great friendship, and so he probably wanted to to help in this moment. I know that there have been parallels between Smokey in this part and Speedwagon in part one. I think this is just an extension of, again, this antagonistic character that is drawn to a specific Joestar, and so they just want to follow them on their journey. So I think Smokey here showing up is kind of like him acting as joseph's hype man much like speedwagon 
turned into Jonathan's hype man in part one. I love that. I can totally see that. And I like to think too, I mean, Smokey has basically become a part of the Joestar family um, because he's got a close relationship now with Edina and I'm sure by extension with Speedwagon now that Speedwagon is has returned home. Um, so I like to think that Smokey's basically become part of the Speedwagon Foundation, probably. Yeah. And uh, some other lingering questions. <laughs> Again, it, it's great that um, th- that Stroheim and Speedwagon are Joseph saving grace in this moment. But was there ever any indication that like Lisa Lisa or Joseph had warned the, the group that they were heading towards Switzerland? No. Okay. But Stroheim has... <laughs> admitted before he has that, like that his team of nazis <laughs> is monitoring <laughs> joseph and was monitoring caesar so he knew all about their their training at um suplina island air suplina air, Su- air suplina island or whatever um and working with lisa lisa so my assumption is that they're just still monitoring um joseph and lisa lisa's activity okay I forgot about that line, which is kind of throwaway, but then it, it ex- just explains everything yeah. so well. Um, I guess on the more political side of it, I just remember learning in like history class that Switzerland was a neutral country during World War II. So I don't know what the implications are that a group of Nazis on this covert mission are able to go into Switzerland to take down um take down the superhuman being the other thing is that with the Speedwagon foundation i'm pretty sure it is a 501c3 private operating foundation oh in the God. states <laughs> like how are you going to report that you've been funding nazi projects <laughs> <laughs> like again these are just really random things that i was thinking about as i watched them appear on on screen to save joseph but i like to I don't know, rationalize all of these questions by just saying human beings coming together to save the world. That's literally all this is. People of very diverse and um, uh, diverse backgrounds, we'll just leave it at that, are coming together to save the entirety of the world. And the world doesn't even know. And they don't even (laughs) fucking know. The unsung heroes we have here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then cars is kind of just watching all this shit unfold, like what the fuck the, all these people are here with UV lights and stuff. And in the midst of this, he then realizes that Joseph is behind him and says, take your eyes off him for a second and he's already coming up with some kind of scheme. And I love it. I just think the fact that both Wamu and Cars have acknowledged that Joseph is a schemer, that he's a trickster, um, that he's always pulling some shit out of his sleeve is fantastic because that is his fighting style. And the fact that the, the enemy understands that now and acknowledges that is great. And I'll mm-hmm. uh, honestly, one of my favorite lines of part two still is and will always be when Caesar goes to that abandoned hotel and Wamu kind of steps in the doorway. And the first thing he says to Caesar, of all things that he could say to Caesar, is where is that audacious loudmouth Joseph oh, yeah. <laughs> or Jojo or whatever? <laughs> it's just fantastic. Like, it's one thing for us as the viewer to intimately understand Joseph's fighting style and and his personality. It's another thing when other characters start to acknowledge that as well. So that's one of those moments. But then Joseph responds to Cars by saying, you crossed a line you shouldn't have crossed, basically saying that you promised a fair fight and you broke your promise to Lisa Lisa. Um, And he is just fuming. The guy is just triggered as fuck right now. Not only that, um, as... Earlier in the episode, Carr said he wanted to honor ACDC's and Wamu's memory by fighting a fair fight, and Joseph calls him out on that bullshit too, especially since like Joseph went through this whole thing of respecting Wamu and his death, and then Cars, who you can, without argument, say that he was closer with Wamu, just steps all over Wamu's legacy by being again sleazy with with his fighting approach in this battle yeah there's a lot of reason for joseph to hate cars and it's all completely valid (laughs) i understand joseph why you're raging so much um and then we lead in of course into the moment that we talked about during the meme rundown where cars plays lisa lisa's legs like a guitar and this part 
is pretty gross. I I mentioned it in part one that the only thing so far in the JoJo anime that's actually made me feel queasy is when um, in part one, Dio and Jonathan are facing off and Dio takes his fingers and like pulls Jonathan's carotid carotid rob thank you for correcting us on that one carotid artery and is like wiggling it between his fingers that is so gnarly to me this isn't quite that gross to me but it is a moment that does kind of make me cringe a little bit when cars stabs his boner blade (laughs) through Mm -hmm. lisa lisa's feet and then strings yeah does he have a foot fetish (laughs) um and then strings a rope through her feet and then throws her off of this bridge and lets her dangle by her feet. Like, it's just gross when you think about it and probably incredibly painful. The thing I was thinking about is why he uses wing, wing, wing as his noise for playing the guitar. Maybe that's the onomatopoeia in, in Japanese. Japan. Yeah, I was thinking that because I know, like, for dogs, they go one, 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 one. one. But <laughs> just the fact that it's wing. Or, um, like, heartbeats or doki doki. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it. maybe that is the onomatopoeia for guitar playing. But yeah, just the same thing with getting impaled in the foot and just hanging by that. Like it it didn't gross me out, but just thinking about it now, like you said, that's got to be super painful. Although she's a hormone user, so I'm sure she can endure that pain a lot better than a regular human. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um. And then one part that I really enjoy in the midst of all of this is when Joseph grabs the rope um, that Lisa Lisa is dangling from and he's kind of stuck and Cars calls that out like, you can't go anywhere now. You're pretty much stuck in this spot. And as he's holding the rope, we get that shot from behind Joseph looking at Cars and Cars does this fucking saunter like he's going down a catwalk straight to Joseph like he is just so sassy as he's walking towards Joseph, and I love it so much. I want to find a gif of it so I can just throw that down in the middle of a random conversation because it's probably one of the best walks I've ever seen in jo- in JoJo. The most threatening saunter yeah, one the could man's have ever like, seen. The man's like 99% naked with his like incredibly luscious locks just coming straight down this catwalk with all of this attitude towards Joseph so that he can kill him. It's just the moment is so intense, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And finally, to wrap up this episode with a fantastic cliffhanger, even though I hate cliffhangers, Smokey reveals to us that Lisa Lisa is in fact Joseph's mom and that Joseph doesn't realize it. And it's kind of crazy to think that Caesar never knew that. Oh, he didn't? Oh, yeah. He did not. I mean, maybe from heaven he now knows it, but... Caesar had this very close relationship with Lisa Lisa. I don't think Caesar really ever had a mother figure based on the information we got from his backstory. So probably maybe saw Lisa Lisa like a mother figure to a certain degree and has spent more time with Joseph Joseph's mom than Joseph has. But Caesar never knew this truth. He never knew who Lisa Lisa really was. And I think that would have fucking blown his mind. Yeah, it's something I never really thought about. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um but yeah, what a great cliffhanger. Again, I, I don't like cliffhangers, but this one I think this one's easier to swallow because as we said earlier, you can put two and two together even before this reveal happens that Lisa Lisa has some sort of very special connection with Joseph. But what a great way to leave off on this episode and bring us into the next episode. And with that said, that brings us to our final thoughts for part two, episode 14, The Warrior of Wind. So what did you think overall about this transitional episode? This transitional episode. Um, I Like I said before, despite it being a, an odd episode, I really enjoy it for multiple reasons. I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from this episode is that Joseph's character development essentially comes full circle by the end of it. Um, not only with his his duel with Wamu, but also understanding Cars' true nature and the way Joseph reacts to that. The whole thing is just great. And I mean, it is the fourth to last episode. So we are nearing mm-hmm. the end of part two. So, you know, at some point his character development has to come full circle. But this is that moment for Joseph. And it's just so fun to watch all of that unfold. What about you? As much as it was a transitional episode and I felt that it was kind of oddly placed because it gives some 
it gives ample but just underserved recognition to Wamu's death and his bromance with Joseph. There's still a lot that happens in this episode that, like you said, fulfills Joseph's character development. And by the end of it, uh, I think he is finally primed to face Cars head on because Lisa Lisa is out of the picture um, for now. And then, of course, you have that that bombshell at the end with Smokey revealing Lisa Lisa's true identity. And as much as that was a surprise, who didn't see that coming already? Um, but I I just realized that there are only three episodes left in part two, so this is really the end game. And I am looking forward to seeing once again how Joseph is able to take cars down. Although I think there there's an asterisk that's kind of added to that because <laughs> there's a caveat in how he takes cars yeah, down. Yeah, takes at the cars end. down question mark. Yeah. Well well, I'm sure we'll talk all about that when we get to the, the final episode of part two. But with all of that said, yes, we are in the final stretch. After this week, we're gonna be in the final three episodes of Battle Tendency Part Two. And as a quick reminder, we are going to take a, a slight detour from our JoJo Parts review series and actually review part six when it premieres in December. So I know there'll be a bit of a gap. I think we'll probably wrap up part two early November. Um, and until part six premieres sometime in December, I don't think they've revealed a specific date yet. We're going to be doing some fun stuff in between. We're hoping to have a guest on, maybe do some fun JoJo discussion episodes um, on this podcast. So look forward to some fun stuff as well as that part six review. And that wraps up episode 23 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series. Connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and all things Joseph Joestar. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.